The Evolved Succeed podcast, where founders, entrepreneurs, business leaders, and experts are interviewed to explore the link between personal and business success. We will also investigate and establish the need for ongoing personal development, accountability, and support. The objective is to inspire you, the audience, to be better in life and in business. Welcome to the Evolve to Succeed podcast. My guest this week on this week's episode is Mark Northey, owner of Norco GRP and Composites, a specialist GRP and Composites manufacturing business based on the South Coast. Mark left home at 16 and left school at a similar age, and as you'll hear, has had a particularly interesting journey to this point in time, which started of all places at the HM Customs and Excise. Mark's entrepreneurial story and journey is one of taking on the family business from his father at the age of just 21 in challenging circumstances, one of then growth and diversification, and there's plenty for us all to learn as we hear more about Mark's story during the course of this podcast. In particular in the podcast, Mark discusses his unusual approach to team leadership, I give people an idea of where we want to go and I give, we give people a, a loose business plan but then we let them find their own way there. Reveals the simple way he holds his team of 180 staff together. We have um, very regular 8am Friday morning meetings where we pull all the kind of department heads together from each area and element of the business and we just sit and we discuss. You know, it's very simple but we sit and discuss what each element of the business is doing. And tells us why people remain his inspiration. You know, I've always, I've always looked up to people. I've always kind of found inspiration in elements of people and characteristics and, and talent in people. And just, you know, people's, people's ability to be very specialist at certain things. I, I, I love that in people. Let's get on with the show. So welcome, Mark, to the Evolve to Succeed podcast. Thank you for inviting me. It's great to have you as a guest on the podcast. So my opening question has got to be, how does somebody that left school, left grammar school, joined the HMRC in their debt management team, end up running a significant and substantial manufacturing business? Um, well, it's, it is an interesting story. I left home at 16, um, never had a particularly good home life and uh, decided that the right thing to do was to leave home at the age of 16, left school. I then got incredibly lucky in that I went to about 30 job interviews and over a period of about three months. And uh, the only offer that I had was from uh, Customs and Excise. <laughs> and so I, I joined Customs and Excise as an administrative officer and uh, ended. I was, I was basically just doing reception work and working in a filing and CFO, Central Filing Office, and then got transferred into debt management unit after about 18 months. Uh, worked in insolvency. Okay. Which... Must have been interesting. There must have been some interesting cases, because this yeah. was early 90s, was it? Absolutely. So right. we, so we it very quickly transpired that the role that I'd taken, my direct boss uh, left, handed their notice in, nothing to do with me. My surveyor was completely inexperienced in in debt management and insolvency. And so they put me on a very kind of high pressure training course and then told me that we had 30,000 cases of uh, 
companies in debt management unit in our area at that time. They also at that time decentralized the the kind of area that encompassed our insolvency division, but centralized the office in Bootle and Liverpool as well. So we were really remote and out on a limb. And right. uh, yeah, I mean, it, we we had all sorts of companies, big local companies, won't, won't talk yeah. about them, some that are still around, some that obviously are very, you know, long gone. Uh, but it, I think I think what it did is it gave me a really good grounding of um, financials of business, how not to run a business, yeah. you know, perhaps in some ways how you should run a business and, and particularly how, you know, perhaps you should just be honest about business, you know, be open with people about how you're going, what you're doing uh, in terms of in terms of your finances, not, yeah. not hide behind things and just be real with particularly your team as well. So do you think... It did make you the business leader you are today. Some of those experiences, seeing some of that real world. Yeah, you know, I think, I think, I think school did too. You know, yeah. I, I went, I went to Paul Grammar School. I hated it when I was there, but there were elements of uh, an awful lot of what I learned from the grammar school, what I took from the grammar school, um, particularly around kind of the health side of things, and that you, you know, you train your mind, you train your body, you know, you, you. Uh, and and, it, and you and you take that in life, and you take that into business with you, and it and it does it does make you a stronger person, absolutely. So school was very much a part of that, and then the customs and excise role was again equally. I I, I looked I looked at a lot of people. I'm going to say this carefully because there's probably some people still there. I don't want to upset anybody, but I looked at a lot of the people that are there and had been there for thirty years, twenty five years. And they came in every day with a briefcase and they opened the briefcase and there was a sandwich and an apple and they closed the briefcase and they went home yeah. and they did precious little, to be honest. <laughs> and it's the civil service for you. And, and, <laughs> and they, and they, you know, they, they, they weren't, they weren't driven people necessarily. They weren't, you know, motivated by the job or the career. They, they were just there for a career and they knew that it was an easy career. And when they were there, they'd be there for 30, 40 years and off they'd go. And I saw that and I thought, that really isn't for me. I, I, I could not see myself in. Did you not own a briefcase? I no, I didn't. Okay. I, 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 I don't <laughs> Sorry, I had ever, to ask I the question. I, ever, I don't think I've ever owned a briefcase. <laughs> yeah, so I went. I ended up. I ended up in a, in a in a relationship where I wanted to buy my own property. Wanted to buy a house. Um, the salary that I was on um, with customs and excise was quite frankly a pittance. Mm -hmm. And my partner at the time, my wife at the time, she she also worked for Customs and Excise, so it was a double pittance, and we just couldn't afford to get a mortgage. So my uh, mother had been talking to me for some time about joining the family business, and my father had started the business in '85, and this was 1994. And that um, is Norco as it is now. It's Norco as it is now, exactly the same company. So okay. it's, uh, yeah, it's, it's 35 years old. Wow. This okay. year. Um, and uh, yeah, one a month ago it was my 25th anniversary in the business. So, so yeah, I, I I started there just simply because my father said to me, "Okay, come and work for me," um, and I I'll pay you six pounds an hour. And I thought, okay, well, if I can do 20 hours overtime a week, and I can get the 20 hours overtime money, then yeah. I've got enough to uh, buy my house, pay a deposit, save up enough money, and 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 basically that's what I did. Uh, so I. I was working in the office um, for about 40 hours a week, um, just, just doing paperwork, et cetera. 
in those days we were still doing um, uh, kind of like daybooks paye yeah. so nothing we, was really computerized nothing computerized at all uh, not not emailed uh, we all our orders came through on a fax machine yeah. thermal fax you know so and and i think you know we were also a little bit you know the office that we had was a little bit backward as well in terms of technology so um it was it, it was it, it was a challenging thing but and then and then i was working 20 hours a week on the shop floor okay because you know for me well, there wasn't enough office work for me to do it was a small team of people we had about 16 employees around that time we were in uh 3000 square feet okay. of a unit and we were doing mainly GRP work for Forestry Commission and Sunseeker, who were growing at a uh, you know, very rapid pace um, at that time. Okay. So you learned the business from the ground up as well as sort of understanding how it worked from a numbers perspective, how the manufacturing process worked. Absolutely. You know, so I, I came... I came into the job and, and, and I thought, well, the, you know, the best thing to do is to, you know, throw, throw myself into an apprenticeship in, you know, in, in effectively what was my dad's company or my own company. Um, and, and of course, some of it was because of uh, you know, the amount of work that there was to do in the mm-hmm. office. So, um, and, it, and it made perfect sense. But I, th- I was there three months, maybe four months. Okay. As I've already alluded to, in those days, my father and I, you know, didn't get on particularly well. Didn't, and, and we were working together in, right. in close quarters, so it was very interesting. And he, it became pretty apparent that they'd asked me to go there because he was struggling to manage all of the day-to-day work, you know, the invoicing, the RFQs, doing, dealing, with the, dealing with the clients. But also he was an absolute and still is an out and out grafter so he was doing you know 80 hours a week wow. he, he was in at five o'clock in the morning every day every day six days a week um he wouldn't go home until the last person had left and then he would work until you know eight nine o'clock at night and he would be doing all of the you know catch up the paperwork dealing with the paye um i'm my mum was uh, helping in the office yeah. um, at, that's not a sustainable time. life no, at all, no. is it? Ab- ab- absolutely not. Absolutely not. So, um, uh, three three months in, we had a words with each other one Saturday morning. Okay. So, we, so we had a very simple agreement: if if you work one Saturday, I work one Saturday. Look after the team. Both get some time off for the weekends with the families, and you know, try and get a bit of quality of life back uh, for both of us, really. And he was already in when I came into work one morning at. 5.30 and I asked him if he was going to go home um, and to cut a very long story short he went home eventually at 11 o'clock and then didn't come back for four years Wow! so he had a uh, a major uh, breakdown uh, was in a situation where they wanted to institutionalize him um, for his own care but uh, my my mother said you know, I don't, we don't want that to happen. And they said, well, the only way that that could not happen is that if you are at home looking after him yeah. 24-7. So within four months of being in the business, I lost the two key people that were running the company and had very, very little expertise or experience at all in how to run a company with probably at that time 16, 18 people in it. And how old were you at the time? 21. Wow. So it was fun. 
<laughs> that takes some strength of character, Mark, because, you know, some of us do and have had challenging relationships with our parents, but they're still your parents and you're still seeing that side of life. Absolutely. And yeah. your mum and your dad going through pain and suffering and you're there taking responsibility for, I suppose, what would have to remain their income stream as well as trying to create something of value for your self of course so how did those first few months transpire then how did you act you know it's, it's interesting to say it was interesting it was you know, fun but how did you cope with that and and how did you deal with that well first first there was there wasn't anything fun about it no. at all. <laughs> um, it was I, I i the biggest positive i i would ever take from it is that i was incredibly lucky in that the 16, 18 people that we had supported it 100%. So you, you, you can imagine in a manufacturing, you know, blue, blue collar working environment, yeah. it, it would have been like rats leaving a sinking ship. Yeah, what's going but on it, here? Yeah, but it wasn't that at all. And, and, and we'd just taken on a few new people as well. And those few new people, they really did rise to the occasion to back, back me up, support me. And and so we you know we we became very quickly a family and a support network for each other. They looked after me. Uh, they were all a lot older than me. Yeah. Mo- most of them were you know ten twelve years older than me, if not even more. But they you know they were a great bunch of people, and and they I still have two three of them with me today. Fantastic. Which is which is amazing. Most is. most of them are now you know retired. Yeah. Twenty five years old. Or moved yeah. on. It's twenty five years old, but there are still some of them with me today. What what did I do, uh, Warren? Honestly, just put my head into the work and worked really hard. Um, you know, we I, 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 for probably five years, I I, I turned into my dad, which yeah. <laughs> I didn't want to do. No, <laughs> never had any intention of doing. Um, but that was all you could do. You know, yeah. so you had to you had to just put. The Having made in. the choice to take it on and take it forward, you've yeah. got to commit, then, haven't you? Absolutely, absolutely. And you and you think you've got. 16, 18 people that have got families, that have got mortgages, yeah. that are completely reliant on you, you know. And and I and I you know, and I look now and I still feel that way today about, you know, yeah. COVID and the virus and, and redundancies and, and what's going on in the world out there. And it's it, it's it's horrendous. Yeah. But, and you have to think about the personal aspect of business as well as yeah. sometimes being a bit cutthroat too. But yeah, and where it's that balance, isn't it? And in my opinion, that's the balance that an owner-managed business can have. It can deal with people as humans, mm. even when there's difficult decisions to be made compared to the corporates that just see numbers. Oh, of, of course. And, and they don't even see names on a list of employees. They see an employee number. No, that's right. And, and I think that's a big difference that us that own businesses can treat people as humans. Correct. Yeah. And I mean, even, you know, now with, um, you know, I mean, we're, we're approaching 180 staff and, 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 and three different elements of the business. And I, I still, I'm not going to pretend I, I know everybody's names, no. but I, we do make sure that, um, you know, we, un, we understand the individual cases, and, uh, you know, within the business. And, and, you know, we do try to get to know people on an individual basis as much as we possibly can. It's, it's, it's key and it's very important to any business success. Yeah. So you found yourself in the situation, you say sort of you've worked, you know, for five years in that kind of environment where you just did whatever it took to keep it going. Clearly customers must have been supportive as well. You talk about your dad coming back into the business. So, yeah, he did. Yeah. So, so what happened there? 
So uh, in 1999, we um, decided that, because the, the two units I previously mentioned that were about 3,000 square feet, they became, uh, I think they were the most maximized 3,000 square foot we've ever had in the company, probably 200% capacity. Uh, and and they were they were fantastic, but we decided that we needed to uh, purchase a, a, another premises. And so we were we we were offered a, a facility just across the road, okay, which was about fifteen thousand square feet. So we we, we yeah, and it, it was quite a jump. But we had we we felt we had enough had enough work, and that there was work being offered going forward. So we took the opportunity. We got the building at an absolute steal. I can elaborate on that because three years later we sold it for two and a half times what we paid for it. So it, it, was, yeah. it, was, a, it, was, a, it was a sensible business decision. Right time, too. right, right place, time. Right deal. Yeah. yeah. And so we had this situation where we had the two original units on one of those awful mid-80s leases that were 25 years long. Yeah. You couldn't get out of them. There was nothing you could do. They wouldn't even let us sublet to some extent because it was supposed to be like a there was any certain types of businesses that could be in the area. So my father came back into the business to help um, train people because we were growing and developing as a company. And so we did. We decided as a business, a sensible thing to do was to, to look at bringing younger people into our industry because manufacturing, particularly boat building and composites was taking off as well. Okay. Um, but people kind of saw what we did as very low-end low engineering so it was it was quite a challenge to recruit the right number of people, particularly in Paul and Bournemouth area, where yeah. you know unemployment at that time was probably less than one percent. Yeah, uh, and so we we decided that what we would do is set up a training centre, and my father came back to run that okay. training centre. So it, I think it you know it kind of worked for him because he didn't see uh, what the business had become. He didn't have to deal with the numbers. The yeah, finances he wasn't involved with the day-to-day operation. Exactly, he was using his skill set. Exactly. So, yeah. and and and, he, and and he's always been amazing with his hands. In, um, an absolute, you know, craftsman, qualified carpenter, yeah. um, can turn his hand to anything exceptional. And he's also incredibly gifted with people. Yeah. And so it, it, it was a it was a great fit. I mean, he was, he was the perfect trainer. Um, so it it worked well for a period of time. Yeah. And. But th- then uh, he, he he took a kind of he took a downturn again, yeah. uh, in terms of his mental health, and and so we uh, I think after two years he uh, left yeah, the so business, established the training center, absolutely, yeah. yeah. So uh, by that time we had uh, two uh, MVQ qualified verifying trainers, so we were doing our own assessment, we were doing our own verifying, we helped set up the first composites and GRP MVQ. In fact, we helped write it. Yeah, um, with a local marine STEM centre here, it was presented to the government. Came back, and we were the first company in the country to actually trial that, run wow. it. Yeah, so it, it was it was a great success, and I, I think we put about thirty five people through that training in about four or five years, and we that 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 helped grow and develop the company um, brilliantly, and it also dragged our average age down as well in terms of uh, <laughs> our average number average age number in the business. So. It, it it just it brought new blood into the company. It helped us extend, and it, it meant we didn't have lots of recruitment costs too. So, five years in, you know, five seven years in, you're at that point. Um, you've got through that initial shock. 
to support people around you. What would you say your ambition for the business was at that point? Uh, honestly, I was young, so you know, for me, it was it was driven by kind of you know numbers of uh, turnover and people, and probably a bit of vanity. Yeah, certainly isn't that today. I was going to say. So, how has that ambition now evolved <laughs> and changed to where you sit? I suppose nineteen, twenty years on. Well, I've just grown up, so. <laughs> uh, but the, the, you know, there, there is some, the, you know, there's some truth in that, and the, you know, the motivation today of the business is very different. So today, it's about you know the value of what we can add to clients, and it's also the value of what um, our team can and can help develop in terms of engineering and lightweight structures. And so we we get more and more excited these days about you know the very intricate jobs that we're doing, and also. You know about about cementing the team really, and and making sure that there's you know a future for kind of succession planning and and, and things moving forward. I don't. I think what what motivates me in yeah. in, in the what business makes you now keep going and driving. We'll talk about the business where it is today and where it may be going. But the what actually yeah, what gets you out of bed and what gives you the passion and drive to do what you do? The the people that I work with. Okay. Um, I I work I work with some very clever people. I work with people that understand elements of the business far better than I do, particularly from an engineering standpoint. Yeah. Because you know my my engineering knowledge and expertise is homegrown. It's not there, there's no qualification with it. It it, it comes from experience and, and knowledge of, of past projects and things. But uh, we we have some exceptionally talented and qualified people. We're working with some incredibly exciting businesses, doing some incredibly exciting things, and it's a little bit boys with toys. So yeah. you know, it's uh, UAVs, it's uh, submarines, it's communication devices, it's satellite dishes, it's radomes, it's and it, it's yeah, it's 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 boys and toys. Okay, boys I guess. And toys. I like that. I never had that answer before, but I like that. What I'm inter- I also interested in is you took the business on and I assume for quite a long period of time it was traditional GRP, which you refer to, you know, very blue collar, very manual in its process, you know. We call it we call it bucket and chuck it. Bucket and chuck it. Well, it's the dirty end of manufacturing, isn't it, to a degree? <laughs> it is, yeah. You know, it's but, very but physical and skilled. It is, yeah. And it, but, and but it, is, it is very, very skilled. It's... it's but you've then transcended the business to have a composite centre and an innovation centre. So at what point did you realise that was the transition you needed to make from going from a very traditional, perhaps marine, GRP-type business to one that is doing things for boys and toys? So I, I guess the defining moment was um, 2007, 2008, you know, okay. when, we, when we had the worldwide crash. And at that point... We'd grown and developed the company, but we but we'd grown and developed the company where we were ninety eight percent reliant on Sunseeker International, and Sunseeker International, like the rest of the marine business and, and the rest of the world, crashed yeah. in two thousand eight, and we kind of naively took the company into two thousand and nine, very very busy because of course there was a backlog of orders and there was. Uh, uh, but you know, previous sales and and boats going out to agents, and then the financial world crashed, and the agents couldn't borrow any money anymore. The banks weren't financing 
loans and, and, and people couldn't buy the boats. Yeah. So our sales halved overnight, probably around about April, May 2009. Right. And it... It was like a train hitting a brick wall. There was no, or seemingly, uh, you know, there were, we, 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 we no real plan visibility of it. No visibility of it, no, not at all. And, and of course, you know, part of that was a customer issue, perhaps a naivety or a want on their part to think that they could keep selling boats yeah. around the world yeah. um, and that there would always be a market, you know, and, and, but the world crashed and it was a different thing. So for me, it was very, very clear that what I needed to do was was drive out that reliance and diversify the business as much as I possibly could. And I also wanted to, to take it away from the marine yeah. uh, world because, you know, it, it, if you're, you know, we, 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 could have, we could have had 12 or 15 mar- different marine customers. But the issue with that is when, when, when one, one industry one goes, goes down, they, go. they, you yeah. know, they, they all follow suit. So, so for me, you know, we, we needed to look at other markets. And that was a challenge because we didn't know anything else. And we didn't have any real expertise in the business also that knew anything else. So I had a, a very kind of like most things are in life, a, um, a very opportune moment, but a very random meeting with a, um, a pre-preg sales rep. So one of our other customers, uh, Williams, asked us if we would uh, develop a pre-preg uh, lightweight boat for one of their uh, customers to go on the back as a tender on one of their boats. And a, by pre-preg for our listeners, you mean sorry, composites. Yeah, co- composite. So yeah, carbon, carbon, carbon rather yeah. than GR. Yeah. So, so you know what tennis rackets are made out of these days, and Formula One cars, and most large aeroplanes. Yeah. And a, and a sales rep came in. Uh, his name was uh, Henry Nicholson Cole, and you know we we sat. We had a good conversation. We got on really really well, and I and I really liked his technical expertise. And he was very good at talking about all the elements of the industry because he went into all of the different different companies and provided them with materials. And we got on really, really well. And, and, and I think at the end of our 45-minute conversation, I offered him a job. <laughs> and uh, he, looked, he looked at me a bit surprised, <laughs> as he would. And, um, and, he, and, he, and he said, oh, okay, um, I'll go away and think about it. And, and I'm... I'm you know, I was very, very pleased because a week later he came back and he said, yeah, I'd, I'd absolutely love that opportunity. I'd, 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 you know, I'd love to join a company where, you know, I'm given the opportunity to go out, look at engineering projects because engineering was his background. And he was excited about developing uh, and diversifying the company. I think one of, one, of the, one of the things that is possibly one of my strong points, but also it is also a weakness is that I do like to give everybody quite a long leash. Okay. <laughs> so, so you know, people are people. I give I give people an idea of where we want to go, and I give we give people a, a loose business plan, but then we let them find their own way there. Okay. And when we guide and we steer, you're looking at me like I'm saying the wrong thing. No, I'm just intrigued. Do, do they have <laughs> to we, earn that leash, or do you generally just? Oh, no, 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 no. Is it no, a no, gut no. feeling you go with, or is uh, it, it spending it is, time with them? No, it, no, it, it's more of a gut, no, it's get. more of a gut feeling, and and we've made mistakes. Yeah, you know, we have made mistakes with that. So we have been a little bit too open and free with um, certain people, and not given them a tight enough leash. Yes, yeah, I would agree with that. But Henry, anyway, Henry really did grasp what we needed to do and what we wanted to do, and he helped me develop a team um, 
to the to the team that we've got today, and he and he, and he still helps me develop the team that we that we've got Brilliant. today. And that's very much now split into the business, isn't it? You're still strong in the GRP in the Marine, and oh, absolutely, that obviously came back strong 2010 onwards. Yeah, still a good part of your business. Obviously, it clearly would have been affected by COVID, but perhaps we'll come on and talk about COVID sure, and, yeah. and how that's affecting the business. But you know, you've equally then changed the reliance by becoming a bigger business with a different niche and specialism and different customer base haven't you? absolutely yeah it's, it's it's been a it's been a there has been a bit of a journey to that i mean we we naturally found that we of course even though we had you know engineers and expertise and and, and different understanding different materials we did find that you know most people were more comfortable with giving us marine type work because that was yeah, inherent that's what, what we they did. believed you understood and yeah, you did understand and and, and so it, it has been um you know quite quite a slow but methodical stepping process so we you know we've gone from doing um lightweight stretches uh, marine other marine projects things like canopy tops and carbon and lacquered finishes and then we started to do some automotive products because they sort of go hand in hand with that um, development products and then Hen- henry worked on a on a project for about 18 months that kind of did change the direction completely for us and i was the typical kind of business owner where i couldn't understand why this thing was taking 18 months you know we were forever going to these engineering design meetings which were completely out of my league uh where there were 14 people sat around the table discussing what size washers they needed to use which i didn't understand as a business owner because you just make <laughs> yeah. a decision you get on with it but anyway we the the 18 months went on and we landed a a contract with a company called Tales that later um, l3 communications bought them supplying civil aviation simulators um for uh, pilot pilot training and henry completely help design and engineer that and flip the whole manufacturing process on its head and that was what won us the job okay so the kind of penny drops that you know sometimes these things take time yeah where's that entrepreneurial spirit that owner managed spirit spirit and you just wants to get on and get Get it get it in the door (laughs) get it i I don't care how it's made get it in the door let's get the money let's get the contract and then we'll worry about how to make it yeah you know but and and so you know the lesson learned there, and, and and so that's kind of how we go about most of our project and our diversification now is that we look for customers that are requiring some sort of engineering change that are unhappy with how their product is manufactured or they want to develop their product. Okay, you know they want to make their their product lighter, they want to make it cleaner, you know they want to make it more weather resistant, you know whatever it might be, and so very much the projects that we're involved with at the moment will have an engineering side to them and we want to be involved in the engineering side because if you're if you're involved in you know the engineering it helps the sales team but it also means you're involved in changes process material specification and the design of the tooling so that helps the manufacturability of the products Um, and and it's a win-win-win for norco because we can you know we we can do everything but you're describing to me two very diverse businesses. Of course. And, you know, that diversification has taken place. There is reliance has, has spread, but you've got two businesses that support each other. We do, yeah. But they're completely different. So how does it feel sort of running MD 
being those both those entities that are in a, in a in a same industry but in a different space that must get confusing at times yeah it, it does and and you, and you do have to be very mindful of the fact that you can't treat both businesses the same so you have to wear two hats and so one one the grp side of the business is very kind of low to mid volume manufacture it's regular production work it's Low, as I said earlier, it's kind of lower end engineering. It's very much building things to drawings that customers supply us with. So it's build to print stuff. Uh, and it takes a lot more man management. Okay. But whereas the composite side of the business is a lot more engineering. You know, we're involved in, we're, we're involved in how uh, the product is developed in, 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 in how it's built. It's a lot more process engineering that goes into building those parts. And of course, the end result is it's built to print, yeah. but there is a lot more development that goes into it. Um, so the teams are managed very differently. Uh, so the composite side of the business is, is managed a lot more from um, an engineering standpoint. Um, and the GRP business is, is much more a kind of man management uh, situation. Um, okay. So I suppose you've grown with quite, it, haven't you? It hasn't happened overnight. So, no, no. you know, it's been a, well, two, since 2008. So it's been a 12 year journey exactly. to this point here. Exactly. Look, I, I, I'm, you know, I'm not, I'm not going to sit here and pretend that, you know, we've, we, we've been one of those kind of quick win companies yeah. that's, you know, been fantastic and accelerated diversification and made lots of money very quickly. It's always been, you know, slow, steady, kind of progressive thing for me. And I, and I think, you know, in manufacturing, I think for us, that's quite important, you know, because the, the backbone of the business has always been marine. I think I can see that in the next few years, that's going to change. And, and I am quite excited about that, that because, you know, it, it's, it's not the end of a journey, but it, it's certainly cementing, you know, what we decided 12 years ago. Yeah. And it and it will it will mean that that you know the company survives and goes forward for for, for many many years yeah. many decades because we will be such a diverse company um, dealing with marine dealing with defence dealing with communications automotive and aerospace so great so currently in the middle of or coming towards the end hopefully of the COVID crisis but who knows it might be just the beginning um, <laughs> so. How's COVID affected the business? I know you've opened a new manufacturing centre during the crisis. So, yeah, tell, tell the listeners more. Yeah, so I, I think, so, so the GRP side of the business, we have basically had to uh, stop for uh, three months, effectively. Yeah. I think, you know, we've, we've had probably 20, 25% of people working in that part of the business. And you know that that that's been that's been a massive challenge. Um, not least, you know, the kind of disinformation that's gone around COVID, the government guidelines, what you can do, what you can't do, yeah. you know, who you can furlough. It's it, it's been a it's been a nightmare. So you know, we, we, and, and not being able to communicate a strong message to the guys that you've sent home, yeah, you know, that have got to pay their mortgages, have, you know, got to keep, you know, got to keep the families and are worried about their jobs, yeah. And then on the other side of the business, we've been very lucky. So Jackal and Hyde again, black right, and white. Yeah. We've had 85% of the workforce in. Yeah. We, and that's throughout the period. Throughout the COVID period. Um, we were given key worker status by two of our customers because we were doing defense type work. Yeah. Uh, we, 
yeah, so so it, 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 that's been challenging because you, you, you've had one element of the business working, one element of the business really not. And then while all that's been going on, we've also been developing a brand new facility, which we started a year ago. It's it's been it's been developed for a specific defence contract, which we worked on for four years and, and and we won, and we have for the next thirteen years, which is quite incredible. Amazing for Norco. We I, you know it's, it's a first. We've yeah. never had that longevity of income stream. Oh, absolutely. And to a certain extent, I assume till very recently you're working off not quite the fax machine, fax machine but purchase order, purchase order, the purchase order. Uh, you'd be surprised with some clients. It's Still a fax machine type scenario, <laughs> or it's it's certainly you know forty two days lead time and no forward picture. Yeah, it's very difficult when you know when you're running um, an element of a business which is you know that side of the business turns over eight million. Yeah, and you don't have much more, more than forty two to fifty six yeah. days uh, vision. Wow. Yeah, it's 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 quite challenging, but um, yeah. So you've it's got not, the long-term not what contract, I want, yeah. it's given you the security, you've opened a new facility, congratulations. Thank you. Thank Must you. be proud. And how many people currently employed by Norco? Um, we, we're, we're approaching 180 um, wow. at the moment. Uh, and so there's a, there'll, be a, there'll, be about, there'll be a team of about eight, 18 at Winfrith, so to start. Right, which is the new facility. Uh, which is the new facility. And, we, and we've recruited a, a number of kind of key positions in the company to new positions. Um, and how and, and and tried to develop that team. So we've taken some some very experienced people from within the business, transferred them across, uh, and we. I again, I you know, I I let the the kind of leash off in terms of the uh, development of the building, and put some a huge amount of confidence in another one of my employees, Steve Ross, who has been an exceptional asset and uh, has done an incredible job of of, of getting the build. Uh, the build through on on a, in a timely manner, uh, and also to an, an exceptionally high standard. Uh, so we're at that facility. We're working to the highest security classification that um, the MOD yeah. uh, rolls out to you know kind of tier three suppliers, uh, and we have passed that as of last month. So uh, we now have a, a facility that. Um, MOD uh, and, and and lots of other people associated that would would be able to use. You, I'd like to come back. You talk about 180 employees. You know, listening to you, and you've got multiple sites, mm-hmm. different locations now. You've talked about the challenges of communication within the COVID situation. But how do you communicate? Because you're still a very entrepreneurial business. That comes true from yeah. this conversation and, and what I know of you, Mark. You know, you make decisions quickly, you implement, you trust in others, but 180 people in an entrepreneurial environment is quite unusual. Sure. Yeah. So yeah. how, you know, it's a great success story, but how do you ensure you have that consistent communication with the team? So we, we, we have um, very regular 8am Friday morning meetings where we pull all the kind of department heads together from each area and element of the business and we just sit and we discuss, you know, it's very simple, but yeah. we sit and discuss what each element of the business is doing. Um, we have a sales and engineering uh, conversation around that too. We have a quality, we have a transfer of knowledge and skills across all elements of the business. So, we, you know, we try and 
try and share the responsibilities. We try and share um, expertise within the business. And I mean, from shop floor too, not just, yeah. so we'll, you know, sometimes we'll transfer, it's, it's, it's a little bit difficult, but sometimes we'll transfer staff and teams across where, um, you know, we, we, we have to fill backfill capacity, uh, backfill planning, et cetera. But we, we just, we just talk, we just all get together. And then um, you rely on those section heads and to just cascade. Yeah, to relay it to team. So, so ba- basically, you know, we, at, the end of, at the end of every eight o'clock meeting, which normally goes on for about an hour, hour and a half, we, you know, sum up what the key points are for what we call our team briefings. And then the production heads go back to their teams. They call everybody together, 1.30, yeah. or at, at the same time every day. And then they relay all that information to, to the team. But most of our divisions also run eight o'clock whiteboard meetings. Yeah. So they'll, you know, they'll set tasks and standards for the day. So they'll, you know, they'll agree what they're going to achieve yeah. during the course of the day. And, that, and they'll also assess what they didn't achieve and why they didn't achieve it and what the catch up plan is. Okay. We also communicate like everybody does social media through to the teams, yeah. not, you know, not, not just outside uh, to the outside world. We and I and I also pen a. It's been difficult through COVID, so I've you know I've, I've just I've written an email shot every to everybody uh, yeah. within you know all of our employees um, every month and just given them an update of what's going on and, and what's happening in the business. Um, and we you know we we do that every single month, um, and so we communicate you know what our wins are, what our losses are. We communicate financials to people, yeah. everybody across the business. We communicate, you know, sales, we communicate new customers we're working with, you know, what job role changes there are, what opportunities there are, where we're trying to drive the business, you know, maybe what um, we're focusing on in terms of objectives in the next quarter. And we, and we summarize and we communicate and we just make sure that everybody's, uh, everybody reads it and understands it and they're on board. Uh, We used to send it home in people's wage packets because we thought if the bloke on the shop floor ripped it up and threw it in the bin, yeah, you know, at least it went home. If it went home in the wage packet, his wife would read it. So, <laughs> and then there would, and then there, at least there's an understanding within the family of what family, we're trying to do as a business. Going on, so yeah, which is, which is also important. Definitely, definitely. Well, like you say, you're responsible for 180 families, aren't you? It's not just 180 employees. So, how would you describe you at your best in the business? I think actually, you know, the last three months have have actually been really interesting for me because. Dare I say, I felt needed again. Okay. <laughs> right. okay. So, so I, um, as I said, I'm not, you know, I'm not an engineering expert, and I won't, I won't profess to be. I'm, I'm not a composites expert, and I'm, I'm not going to profess to be. But I think what I have learned very much over the, over my 25 years is how to steer teams and manage people. And I will get emotional a little bit about it because it's, it. It's very hard when you're, you know, you're looking at 180 people and you, you feel that you can't give everybody all the answers that you want to yeah, give them. It's tough. But what I've really enjoyed is that, you know, my team have looked at me. I, I mean, I, you know, you are the, you are the, you know, you are the, the face of the brick wall. You have to have the answers. You have to communicate with people. You have to try and steer and motivate and, and keep yeah. people There's developed. There's no hiding as a leader in this oh, no, environment, is there? Of course there isn't. No, of course there isn't. And, and you know, and, and, and anyone, who, you know, anyone who does do that really shouldn't yeah. be in business. So, so I've, I've really enjoyed, you know, my team being around me, looking at me for direction, 
being able to give direction as much as I possibly can, being clear. But also we've had to make thousands of, you know, kind of on the spot decisions, which I know a lot of businesses have to do every single day, but I'm lucky enough to be in a position where perhaps the last few years I haven't had to. Yeah. So yes, I'm at the coalface and yet, you know, yes, I understand how my business operates, but I'm not making the hundreds and hundreds of day-to-day decisions. You know, I, I, I let my team do that because they make, they make good decisions. And do you think it's going to therefore some really interesting response from you and, do you think it's going to change how you operate in the business and your role in the business in the months and years ahead? Or do you think you'll hand back to the kind of leadership team? I, well, I, I'll definitely hand back. Okay. <laughs> I'm very good at I'm very, you know, another thing I'm good at, I think, you know, I've learned, I've learned you can't control everything and you can't control everybody either. You know, so, so and, 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 the best way that a business will develop and shine is that, you know, you let, you, you let people make mistakes yeah. and that's how you get wins and that's how you get the best successes. And that's, that's how you keep and retain really, really talented people as well, because they, you know, they, they, they've got to feel motivated and they, and they, they've got to use their imagination. They've got to feel trusted and they, they want to show what they're capable of. Don't they? You squash people. Absolutely, then you'll never get the best out of anybody. So no, I look. I'm, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm at a stage where, in my career, where I'm, I'm looking forward to going back to not, not yeah. making hundreds of decisions today, but I have actually enjoyed. I, you know, I have very, very much enjoyed it. Um, so where do you find your inspiration then? I know, I, I know, I keep saying people, but but it is people. Yeah, I've always people. been, you know, I've always, I've always looked up to people. I've always kind of found. Um, inspiration and elements of people and characteristics and and talent in people and just you know people's people's ability to be very specialist at certain things i yeah. i i love that in people i think i think it's you know i think it's a wonderful trait for people to have and and also you know i, I, I do i do have a drive to you know we we want to do very very complex and diverse structures in business and so, as much as I love the marine side of what we do, and I, you know, and I, I do genuinely love marine marine work and the marine business, and it's what I know, it does really, really excite me to see something that we made flying at yeah. sixty five thousand feet, or uh, seeing it being installed on the back of a frigate, or yeah. you know, seeing it flipping a. Uh, well, I mean, we, you know, we've made um, actual, you know, HMS. We're involved in making part of HMS boats, you know, and, and that sort of thing is, it, it's yeah. amazing. It's, it's incredible. It's just that, output, that outcome of what you do yeah. and lead Think, day th- in, day th- out. Things, things that we make are, you know, flying around the world on helicopters, on UAVs, yeah. you know, the military, you know, the military use them um, for lots of different, re- lots of different reasons. Um, you know, people are, people are driving cars at very, very high speed that we've made parts, that, you know, sat on those cars. Um and one day, hopefully, we'll be making parts that people sat in aeroplanes, yeah. you know, flying at thirty-five thousand feet. Because you know, because the aerospace work that we do is very much it's it's unmanned stuff. Yeah, uh, it's, it's military defence communication yeah. things. Yeah. So, been a really upbeat discussion with you, but times do get tough from time to time. We all know that running a business. We all know that in life, just generally. How do you rejuvenate yourself, and how do you pick yourself up when 
things aren't going to plan because inevitably they don't always go to plan, do they? No, they don't. And, you know, we, we've had, uh, I think we've, we've probably had more than our fair share of your valleys of despair over the, yeah. <laughs> over the, over the course of uh, 25 years, you know, through, through uh, you know, financial economic reasons, you know, 2000, uh, 2000, I was going to say 2011, but it wasn't, it was 2001, wasn't it? Yeah. Twin Towers. Yes. And then 2008, um, and then obviously the recent COVID. How do we pick ourselves up? Um, I, we, I don't fall down. You, you, you don't. You can't. You know. You, you kind of, and you and you can't show your team that you're. I don't know. I I I, I guess I I I choose my depressed times when we're doing well. Okay. You know. So I might. You know. When we're doing well, I might take myself out out of the business, and and, and I balance myself that way. So I don't, I don't. So do you think you operate in a different rhythm to the business? Completely. Emotionally. Absolutely. Absolutely. You know, like, so, and I, you know, I try and do that a little bit in, I try and go against the grain in life quite a lot too outside of the business, I think, you know, so I don't know what I'm trying to say with that, but certainly within the business, yes, because you, 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 you can't be the one. You can't be depressed with everybody within the business when people are looking at someone for inspiration yeah. and motivation. You've got to stand up. You can't be counted, haven't you? Absolutely. You know, and when, and when you know people around you are losing their jobs, and you know they're worried about you know where the work's going to come from, and you know when they're going to be able to put food on the table. You you, yeah. you can't go down with them. You've got to. Yeah. You've got to prop people. But that does take it out of you. I mean, you know, it does. Of course, of course, it does. Of course, it does. That does take it out from you eventually, doesn't it? And it, and probably is the times when things are going well. Yeah, that you get a chance to recharge or rejuvenate or yeah, which reflect, is you know, and it I, can hit you. I'm you know, I, I'm sure you know a lot of my staff will tell you that you know, I I, I can be you know very 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 up and I can be very very happy, but. Fortunately, because my business is is quite successful, best of times, I'm more often depressed than I am. <laughs> <laughs> I, you know, so you, you've got to, you, you've just, you just, you just have to take yourself out of those situations. And and if running Norco wasn't enough, you've recently a keen hobby of yours is records, mm-hmm. collecting records, music. So if if developing Norco wasn't enough in itself, you've recently opened a record shop or taken over a record shop with your son, yeah, Ren, yeah. Boiler Room Records. So how did that come about? And uh, how does it, it feel to be a record shop owner? It, it's fantastic. You know, it, it's a kind of uh, a combination of um, 35 years of of collecting, of of spending, you know, pocket money uh, as an eight-year-old and paper round money as an 11-year-old and, you, you know... Collecting uh, David Bowie records my whole life, uh, and then you know extending that into very collectible parts, and I uh, sorry other other collectible areas, and I I wanted to I really wanted to do something with my son as well to kind of help you know build a relationship and uh, or cement a relationship, uh, and he he'd had a really troubled time at, at university, uh, fell out of university. A little bit like I did, and um, I just I wanted to give him some motivation again and and, yeah. and something to grab hold of and, and a bit of direction. And so I'd had an opportunity three years ago to take over a very small secondhand record shop, a friend that I'd known for thirty years. I was a I was a client of his for thirty years, and we became friends. I worked there when I was sixteen. 
you know, covered for him on holidays, that sort of thing, when he was in the Old Town Market in Pool. And look, it's, it's you know, that's if I don't know anything about composites, I, I, I do know an awful lot about <laughs> records. So it's a more, it's a more natural thing yeah. to me. It's something I enjoy every, I, I don't, I, I smile the whole time I'm in there You're and I'm working. You're taking passion into a business, I suppose. Yeah, yeah. Com- completely. And it's not that I don't have a passion for composites. Of course I do. Yeah, well, but, it's clear but this is a natural, do, but yeah, this is this a is, natural passion. This is a hobby. This is a, it yeah. is. Yeah. And, and so, um, yeah, I, I was offered the business last, um, August, last July or last August and uh we yeah we went for it we we decided it was the right thing to do we did a trial in July we bought the stock of the business in September the previous owner wanted to retire we we started on the 2nd of September and I think you know thought blimey what we've we done because <laughs> it was uh, it's not it wasn't the prettiest place in the world uh, and it certainly wasn't the environment that I was kind of you know used to working in so we we parked that business for three months. We rode it into Christmas, you know, just analysed it. Got to know it. it I got to know it. Yeah, they got to know some of the clients, you know, because those businesses survive on on regulars coming in, collectors coming in. You know, you 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 you're keeping a box for them every week that you know they get to to look through. That and and that's what turns the business over. But you know, I I, I very kind of quickly realised that you know that that wasn't enough for me. <laughs> Because it, it it was never going to be enough for me. So, so that ambition and drive started to rear yeah, its head, did it? Absolutely, yeah. So we so we decided in in, in December we we shut the doors on Christmas Eve. You know, Ren and I went over the pub, and then and and our plan was we'd completely refurbish the business in January, reopen it in February, um, and we so we we gutted the premises completely, gutted the premises. So we the building was a mix of. Um, from 1460 Georgian Victorian and, and nothing had been done in there since the mid mid 70s so it was it was a bit of a feat but but we I think you know we've done we've, we've done a great job of it we, we we've both created a space that we enjoy working in uh you know everybody that comes in is so positive about what we've done yeah. we've got families coming in we've got youngsters coming in you know we're doing new releases new titles as well as secondhand collectibles and we've retained all of pretty much all of the old customers too, who also all also can't believe you know what we've done and, yeah, and how we've and the investment but, and the transformation, yeah. And it's it's great, great fun. Um, and you know, I, I, I love listening and uh, about music all the time, so you know, you know, it is a bit of a community center at times <laughs> for, for you know, way with people that like to talk about music, but 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 you know, I, I, I love that, and it's Brilliant. it's what. I, it's hugely what I'm interested in. Brilliant, Mark. It's been great talking to you on this episode of the Evolved to Succeed podcast. If people want to know a little bit more about Mark, Norco or Bordering Records, where can they go? You can have a look on our website, so www.norco.co.uk and uh, www.boilerroomrecords.co.uk. Quite simple. Nice and simple. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and uh, yeah, I'm on all social media, LinkedIn, Facebook. So just look for me if you want to learn more. That would be great. Brilliant. Good talking to you. Yeah. Thank you, Mark. Pleasure. I really appreciated Mark's openness about the difficulties of taking the business on from his father, the lessons he learned from it and how it's formed who he is today. He has some great perspectives on resilience, the value of community and showing compassion as a leader. I also thought his views on the challenges and advantages of diversification 
and the way he deals emotionally with business and life in general of great value and I really hope you took some inspiration from his story and his journey. To find out more about Evolve then please do visit evolvemembers.com where you'll find great content as well as information on our peer groups, one-to-one coaching and events. We've got some great webinars lined up in the coming weeks and all that information can be found on our website, evolvemembers.com or on our social media pages. I really hope you enjoyed this podcast and if you haven't yet, please click the subscribe button so you can get your weekly Evolve podcast delivered automatically to your device. We're constantly striving to bring you guests who provide new insights and value to you, whether it's to do with your work life or your personal well-being. Thank you for listening and from all the Evolve team, we wish you a great week and hope to see you again soon.